I'm over here now. I was over there. Now I'm over here. Sure. I'll bring all my shoes and my, my glasses with me. So I have them. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with the OGs on the block to see the terror Eating pasta, primavera, feeding caca, be together People never know the wild shit we might say Grew up on Eddie Murphy, Jerky Boys, and Dice Play. I've been waking up nights, screaming Brooklyn Blast podcast Mama took my porn mags, jerkins, and a soft rags Easy when we talk about Mr. Ferrari Cause we go way back when we used to play Atari Sparked weed, taking shots like the Fratelli's RV Doing donuts in the parking lot at Arby's Car keys, now you can't leave, lock the door Please, Jimmy's on a mission. Time to start the intervention. Let's go. Episode 214 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace podcast with my friend here. The first assistant cameraman. Is that a correct job title? That is a correct. Actually, it, you could say first assistant photographer. You can say first camera assistant. They're, they're moving away from cameraman because right. there are many women that do the job as well. Very well. So but to make it more egalitarian, maybe you'll say... Uh, You're a camera person. You can say camera person. You can say focus puller. You can say yes. Okay. All of the above. Awesome. Randy Shinovsky, who... Uh, we were just chatting for a couple of minutes before I started recording, who I, I'm not going to... I don't... I'm not going to lie and come up here and say I'm like this expert. I, I'm not at all. But I really was not familiar with you until the whole dynamic of Danny boy and the whole Delta Bravo exploration team and this, that, and the other thing. And then I started digging in and just going by your IMDB. Now I'm just basically saying this for anyone who is watching and listening. I just want to rattle off a few things that you have worked on. And I know it's only the tip of the iceberg. Am I embarrassing you? <laughs> no, it, it's a little bit, but it's fine. I wouldn't be here if I, exactly. if I didn't have these nice credits. Yes. Right. All right. In no particular order, and it's no particular how many episodes or a lot or a little bit. It's just, here's some things that I just threw together real quick. From Beverly Hills 90210, 24, Desperate Housewives, Judging Amy, Grey's Anatomy, the New Adventures of Lois and Clark, The Starter Wife, Reno 911 Miami, Brothers and Sisters, Hyperion Bay, Chicago Hope, China Beach. One I had to throw in there, I know it's only a couple episodes, which I thought was awesome though. Highway to Heaven. You Spectacular, yes. I, I have great memories from that. Yes. I love I, it. I only did two episodes, but uh -huh. yes. Um, you just wrapped up All Rise. Now, a few movies. Cocktail with Tom Cruise, Masters of the Universe, which I definitely want to talk to you about because I grew up in that era and it's awesome to me. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, Primary Colors with Travolta, Canine with Jim Belushi. This I thought was hilarious. House Arrest with Sinbad, City of Angels, and you don't have to repeat the story from the past podcast that you've done, but... You basically got your feet wet with an insane story involving the outsiders. This is all true, except if you don't mind. No, uh, correct me, please. With, with all due respect to Sinbad, I, there must be two house arrests because I didn't work on the one with Sinbad. The so, house, the house. Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis and Kevin Pollack and all those wonderful kids, including um, Jennifer Love Hewitt, 
and uh, Amy Sackisitz, who wow. then was probably, oh, I have a great story about Amy Sack. Anyway. Uh, anyway, hey, listen, so I, I have no time limit, my man. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Thank you for that introduction. I'm happy to meet you. Uh, I am here because we are all connected, I think, through Danny Boy. Yeah, I think through Delta Bravo, which yes. is also there, but the the urban exploration, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, and the outsiders. Yeah, I'm trying to see Um, where was I? Uh, oh yes, I wanted to ask you since we did meet for the first time a couple seconds before you hit record. Right. Um, I've listened to a few of your podcasts, namely, uh, I listened to the one with Steve Mona. Uh, spectacular, both of Nacos, both yeah. of Danny's. Yeah. Uh, I think I heard some spectacular human beings, those guys. They're all spectacular human beings, and I love what you do. I would like to know sure. when your podcast starts, you basically have a theme song. And it's changed mind, a few times, but yes. Well, the, the, the current version, the, the, I would believe the theme song that's going to precede this interview, it sounds like it's. Um, Frank Sinatra, is it? I'm over here, now I'm over there. And there's a couple oh. of cut-ins, and then there's a song. Can right. you, would you mind, just as an icebreaker, I'd love to know okay. how that came about and who those are, and am I way off the track, or am I... No, no. going to be something... <laughs> that, that's fine. I, that's, okay. No one's ever asked you that, and I think that's great. I'm more than happy to tell, tell you this. Um, well... The, it's kind of a, it's a hip hop song, right? The, the, the most recent one that I have, right? Yes. It sounds like two different guys. Well, it's two different guys. One, his name is Diabolic, who I've had on five times. And he's from Long Island. And the other guy, his name is Big Left, who used to be in the group like Kokonosha with Danny. Ah, okay. And they live on two different coasts and they did me a favor and they did the song for me. But for a long time, I, I, was, I grew up, listening, uh, not listening, but watching like a lot of Andrew Dice Clay and all of those, you know, old Eddie Murphy and stuff like that. So if you hear right in the beginning, he says, I'm over here now. That is a, that is a clip of Andrew Dice Clay. And the whole, the whole context of him saying it makes absolutely no sense in the stand-up that he's doing. That's why it makes it so ridiculous and funny to me. He's just on the stage and he goes, I'm over here now. So you didn't see that. I was over there, but now I'm over here. And he just does this thing. It makes no sense. It's just so stupid that you have to laugh. And it's also a quote that that actually is Andrew Dice Clay, but in the movie Casino, where Joe Pesci walks to the casino and, he, and there's two guys and he's like, oh, you see Carmine? He's like, nah, Carmine's not here. Oh, Carmine's over there. I'm over here now. Oh, oh, so Carmine's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they leave because, you know, because Joe Pesci's strong arming them out of there. So it's kind of a combination of that. And then um, there's a Jerky Boys, because I grew up listening to the Jerky Boys in the intro. And there's a whole bunch of like a little a lot of little pop culture references that Diabolic actually says in the songs. Right. He, mentions, he mentions the Fratellis from the Goonies, 
he mentions grew up on Eddie Murphy, Andrew, Andrew Dice Clay and the Jerky Boys. And it's just, it's just a, a silly introduction that was done for a, as a favor. But I'm glad I asked. And maybe there's somebody listening and or watching that is happy that I asked as well. Yeah, you know, I hope so. It's charming and it immediately puts you in a good mood. Oh, that's cool. If you really listen, it's, it's, it's kind of vulgar, some of the things he says, but hey, what are you going to do? I'm hard to offend. Yeah, oh, me too. Listen, um, there's nothing that offends me. Um, I don't know. I guess it's my age, born and raised in Brooklyn. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I don't know. So now you, I believe you, you sent it to me and Danny also sent it to me. Um, the podcast that you did where you talk about, and I'm not asking you to explain verbatim, but I definitely would like you to touch on the whole, it's such a crazy story of how I, I was listening to it with like my mouth open. Like, this is insane. And what a weird, not, I, mean, I can't even say weird. What an awesome lack of a better word, place that the universe put you in and how that all happened is just, what are the chances? Yes, there's zero chance. Exactly. Zero chance. It was a one in a million and it could never be repeated again. It, would, it had to be of that era as well. Before right. the internet, before people being married to their phones, before people being more more suspicious of people uh there was just a a little bit more trust in the world sure. at that time and even though it was shocking to me that uh david inhoff was so gracious and in inviting a stranger sight unseen from los angeles to tulsa on the strength that i bought a pair of shoes and i know this either makes sense to people at this point or it doesn't it doesn't uh, <laughs> it, it does to you though yeah um, that it is truly a miracle. But in a nutshell, um, I've been a motion picture camera person for uh, almost 40 years. And how did it all start? I did go to film school and I did buy a pair of Kelso Earth shoes from the classified ads of Rolling Stone magazine. Now, that doesn't make sense. I mean, there are plenty of people that want to get into the film business in any capacity that they choose. And it's an uphill battle. And there's a lot of doors to knock on. And there's a lot of luck involved. Nobody gets in from buying a pair of shoes, but I did. So basically, let me try and consolidate it. Um, sure. <laughs> everyone in my covenant, my guys I'm growing up with, that I went to college with, who I'm still friends with, know this story. So there was an opportunity that one of my friends, who is a program director and a producer of a podcast here in Los Angeles at the NPR flagship station called, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a bank. Uh, K, K, what is it? How embarrassing. I don't remember. It's all right. I don't remember it's, off the top it's, of my head. It's, the, NP, it's the NPR uh, KCRW. Thank okay. you. Okay. <laughs> uh, and he said, Randy, would you, I, I, I'm looking for an episode of my podcast to launch the new season. Would you tell your story for me? I said, absolutely. But I want to try and bring Danny in as well, because I wanted to shed some light on the museum for him. 
And I also, uh, it's a miracle how I met Danny also in a funny sort of way. So to get right to the point, I promise. Um, fine. <laughs> I, I, I'm a film student. I order a pair of shoes on a whim in the back of a Rolling Stone magazine. This is 1982. I'm also, if you were to ask me, who's your favorite filmmaker, I wouldn't hesitate and say Francis Coppola. So, so the, the, the issue that I ordered the shoes out of featured an article about Francis Coppola. And I decided to write a letter. Back then, you would write letters by hand, put a stamp on it and put it in the mail <laughs> yeah. to the editor, hoping that they would print your letter. And for my reason, I just, I never thought Coppola would see the letter. I never thought anyone would see the letter other than if I was lucky it got printed, I could show my group of friends, hey, look, I'm in this Rolling Stone next to Francis Coppola. Isn't that cool? How it, cool it, is that? Yeah. You didn't take a selfie back then. You didn't do an Instagram picture back then. It was, these were the, this was the social media of the time, if you will. Right. So I order these shoes. It, the shoe place is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's right. important. Um, down the road, they print my letter. And a little bit further down the road, I get the shoes with a letter from the owner of the shoe place. And he says, dear Randy, I saw your letter in the latest Rolling Stone. Francis Coppola is here in Tulsa right now directing The Outsiders, which my wife wrote when she was 16 years old. Why don't you, which right now my jaw is on the floor and my eyes are popping out of my head because I get it, but I don't understand how he knows this. Now, if, if that wasn't shocking enough, the next paragraph says, why don't you come out and visit? I'll introduce you to Francis. I'm going to show you the letter you wrote, which I never thought he'd see, but he did. And you'll see everybody and, and have a good time. And to a film student, and, a, and these are my heroes, I absolutely, I got to go. So I did. And that's the story in a nutshell. That's how I started. I befriended so a bunch crazy. of people. Yeah. So over the years, Jimmy, I've worked with, I've seen Francis many times at various functions. I've seen the entire camera crew. I've worked with most of them. I've worked with many of the cast uh, and crew. I'm still friends with Essie Hinton, Susie Hinton, the author, oh. and her husband, a unique friendship. And that's how I met Danny, because in the world of social media, most of my family and friends are on Facebook. A few of them are on Instagram, so I'm on Instagram. Right. And even less are on Twitter, but I like Twitter for because I'm a sports fan. So the, my sports teams, they have the, the beat writers tweet quite a bit. So I get all the scoops on all the teams that I follow. And that's the only social media that Susie Hinton is on is Twitter. Right. So she writes me and says, hey, Randy, there's this person called the Outsider's House. At this point, I'm not sure, Danny would have to tell you, I'm not sure if they have even met. She just knows about it somehow, or maybe they met, Danny would have to say. And um, she's reporting to me that this person bought the Curtis Brothers House and is turning it into a museum. Unbelievable. So, so people have been nice to me and I reached out to him. I sent him, I didn't know who he was. I sent to the Outsider's House. A personal message, I said, you know, I have a crew t-shirt 
that I brought back with me from my trip to Tulsa when I was on set. And if you would like it in your museum, uh, you can have it. So he said, yeah, I would love that. And I thought he was in Tulsa, but it turns out he's in L.A. I'm in L.A. He, he, it turns out even weirder. I, I lived at the time on the same street that he lived on only like a couple blocks away. It's just the synchronicity is strange, you know? Yeah. Then we met, I gave him the shirt and we've been dear friends ever since. But I hope that answers your question. How do yeah, you, I said absolutely. I don't even remember what the question was. But that's yeah, basically the story of, of the, basically the shoe story and how that, you know. Well, that's how it worked for me. Yeah. But if, if, if we can still talk about the outsiders for a second. Of I course. Like, I feel like this really needs to be expressed when it comes to that novel and that movie. Um, first of all, this girl, Susie Hinton, who is a high school sophomore when she has the idea to write this novel. And she wrote it basically because of how she witnessed um, a lot of injustices and a lot of fighting and a lot of cliques uh, at her high school that she did not approve of. She also didn't approve of the fact that the young adult literature for people her age was sort of, you know, Bobby asked uh, Betty to the dance and she's wondering what, it, it was kind of, uh, with all due respect, a little candy coated. And she made it a little more realistic, which is what she witnessed. But for a 16 year old to, and, and she wrote it over a course of years, she might've even been 15 when she thought it up, but, to, to be able to weave that story together at that age and to have it published basically as she's graduating high school is astounding. I'm not sure how many young authors like that there are that make a- Definitely, make a definitely classic, not many. Right, a classic that's been in print ever since, 54 years now, and yeah. it's been translated into more than 30 languages. Yeah. So now fast forward, here's another miracle. Fast forward to this librarian in Fresno, California named Joellen Misakian. And she can't keep that book in the library of her middle school where she's the librarian. All the kids want it. So she decides on a whim, I'm going to write a letter to a director. And I'm going to write a letter to a director that I think is going to make this movie. And I'm going to have all these kids sign it. And maybe that'll make him read the book and perhaps make it. But here's the miracle about that. I've been told actually through Danny, I've never spoken to Joellen, but I would love to someday. Um, I was told that she picked Francis Coppola on the strength of the Black Stallion, which is also a uh, popular book. Absolutely. Walter Farley. And it's a terrific movie. But Coppola didn't direct it. Carol Ballard directed it. Coppola's name is at the top of the poster, but it's only because he produced it. And people have heard of Francis Coppola more than they've heard of Carol Ballard. Sure. So in actuality, if she was so impressed with The Black Stallion that she thought he, she wanted this director to make the movie, she should have sent that letter to Carol Ballard. But no, she sent it to Coppola and she didn't have his address. She sent it to Gulf and Western in New York, which is the parent company of Paramount at that time. And she only knew that, took a guess, I would assume from the Godfather films, because those were right. all Paramount pictures. 
That letter, Jimmy, should have been taken right away to the trash that should have never gotten the Coppola. How it got to him in Napa or San Francisco from Gulf and Western in New York is a miracle. He opened it, he read it, right? He bought the book. He hadn't heard of it. Uh, I know that. I Actually, I never, I never had the Outsiders as required reading. Now my kids did. I didn't either. I, I don't know when it became... Um, I thought it was required reading in seventh grade for many years, but it skipped me for some reason. So uh, blessings all around, you know, there's, of course, Danny's story that a lot of people listening to this, I'm sure know, um, but, and all the cast who were really unknown that really sunk their teeth into this, their roles and, and carved out their careers. I'm just like a little wheel. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Or, of course. Or but you were actually on set, weren't you? For six shooting nights, they, um, uh, uh, b- back then, um, a work week was six days, Monday through Saturday. Nowadays, right. it's five days a week um, because normally there, there's a lot more production cities in the U.S. now. Back then... I'm not sure there were more than a handful of people in Tulsa that they hired. They might've hired a driver or two, uh, a makeup person or two. Um, But to get the craftspeople, no, they would send, part of that is the union, but they would um, send everybody from Los Angeles. And we always knew, and and it was true in my career as well. If you worked out of town, it was Monday through Saturday. And if you worked Hmm. in town, it was Monday through Friday. So I decided to come out for uh, the whole week, which was a blessing because I couldn't really, uh, even that wasn't enough. You know, I didn't want to leave, but um, I I really enjoyed myself and they made me feel right at home right away. And I wasn't anybody's nuisance. They enjoyed having me there. And I actually had um, the blessing of this story with the shoes and the Rolling Stone because everybody that was looking at me that didn't know me are seeing on one arm is Coppola. Imagine where I'm standing on the set. Most certainly in the beginning, I was between Coppola and Hinton. So it's like everybody's looking, cast, crew, who's that guy, right? Because I've got this, I've got the king and the queen next to me and I'm in the middle. So uh, that was a great, that respect was my ticket to meeting everybody and befriending everybody. And I'd like to think that they were gracious because they wanted Francis and Susie to know that they were gracious to me. But then I'd like to think also, because I've seen so many of them and have worked with so many of them and become dear friends with so many of them over the years that, no, they really did enjoy meeting me and they were happy for me. And um, and that's the career I wanted. I wanted to have a career in cinematography and I decided to help the camera crew while I was there for that week in mm-hmm. little ways uh, without being asked and, and actually taking a chance doing so. I could have gotten yeah. in trouble. But um, it all worked out. It's insane. It's, it's such an incredible story. Now, for people who don't know what, I, I guess, what the job entails of being a first assistant camera person what is actually your function? Because I know everyone knows the director, the producer, the stars of the movie, blah, blah, blah. But you play like 
but it, I don't, I saw it somewhere within probably the group or something. It's someone said that it's probably the most difficult job on the set. We, you, you could make that case. Uh, it, it, it is a difficult job because you sometimes find yourself on an island, so to speak, where um, the, the focus of a shot is um, basically in my hands. I have real, uh, I have an impact on the image basically frame by frame. And if you put it into context, it's, it's, it's very different now. Okay. I, I, in, a, in a lot of ways, the job is a little easier now because of technology. But if you go back in time, pre-2000, okay. so I was working over 20 years when everything was shot on film. So there weren't high-definition monitors everywhere on the set where right. people could see and play back. This is film where... You, there's no playing back. You you run film, you can it, you send it to the lab, and if you're lucky, you see it the next day, which mm -hmm. is too late if right. there's a problem. Okay. Exactly. So this makes sense to the film people that might be watching this. Um, but basically, in the in a traditional camera crew, when there's one camera on a show, and a lot of shows were filmed with one camera, including TV series. Um, there's a director. So there's two people below me uh, in the hierarchy, if you will. I mean, we're all, I, I like the way I like to work is we're all equal, but in reality, there's a pay scale and there's a chain of command of sorts, I guess. And yeah, the collective bargaining agreement did put right. people in order of importance. So there's two below me and there's two above me. So I'm right in the middle. The two above me are the director of photography, who is really in charge of the entire look and the lighting of the film. Also, the camera crew, the grip crew, and the electric crew. Do I need to explain anything there? Does that all make sense? It makes sense to me. If you feel like pontificating a little bit more for the listeners, that's up to you. But I think people no, just. I think yeah. I think people are pretty savvy. Right. Um, the the next person above me is called the camera operator. Yeah. That person, imagine, imagine a camera sitting on a um, tripod or dolly and then a pan and tilt head that back then was often used with two wheels. If people can see this, I'm sorry, the, the podcast people can't see, but the, but the YouTubers can see. Yes. So this hand tilts and this hand pans and there's okay. two, two wheels, right? So I can picture that in my head. Hand, pardon? I can picture that in my head. Yes. So I don't have a, I'm the operator. I'm panning and tilting with these wheels. I got an eye on the eyepiece. I don't have a third hand to follow the focus. That's my job. So um, there's, there's actually reason in the old days why the person on the camera who was in charge of the framing wasn't in charge of the zooming and the focus. But I still think it holds true today. And let me tell you something, Jimmy, if the producers could get rid of my job, they would have gotten rid of my job. No, I'm sure I'm sure there's autofocus lenses that would do right. a halfway decent job. Right. Right. But the fact is, you still need, in my view, and I think in everyone's view, you still need a human being to follow the focus. So that brings 100%. you now to my job. I'm working in concert with the camera operator in um, 
whatever they're photographing, my job is to put your eye where the focus should be, change the focus based on the dialogue. If there's two people talking and they're neither that you can't keep them both sharp. And this is now it gets into a scientific process with the focal length and the aperture and the distance they are from the film plane. But the simple thing is I get to decide for the audience where the focus should be. Sometimes it's self-explanatory. If it's someone's close-up, that's where the focus is. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes there's creative license, and that's the most fun job. Part of my job is when I have the autonomy to be able to choose what we will render in focus and what is the most um, important to the scene Mm-hmm. So I give kudos to all the cinematographers that I've worked with in my career for huh. allowing me that autonomy. Very rarely, Jimmy, have people said to me in the course of my career, yeah, Randy, I want you to start the focus here. And when the guy turns, go there. And when the guy walks out, go to that car and then take the car. And I've never had that. That's, so that's awesome. It's a blessing. Yeah. And then, the, then the two jobs behind me are the second assistant camera which is the person that does the slate here's the slate for the uh-huh. <laughs> for for youtube and uh but anyway hitting those two pieces of wood together so you can sync the sound with the picture and keeping all that straight and then uh, a lot of times there would be someone who was called the film loader who was in charge of getting the magazines come with the camera empty they buy the film that loader goes in the dark room, which is either on the stage or on the camera truck when we're on location, and they thread the magazines. They, they're in charge of all of that. You would think, my father was always surprised that that was the lowest job on the totem pole. Really? Why would somebody who's in charge of actually handling the film, they could turn the light on and ruin the whole thing, right? True. Why are they the lowest person? <laughs> exactly. I don't know. <laughs> that's why I go back to my original statement, which is I don't believe anybody's the lowest person. I believe we're all that unit. And gotcha. without the five working well, uh, everything, everything can, it goes off the rails quick. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and there are shows that, um, you know, you mentioned 24. When I worked on 24, they were not shy about um, insisting that people were at the top of their games. They wanted A's everywhere. And to me, that's like a huge feather in my cap that I was associated with that show because if they thought you were a B, forget it. You got a call and then you didn't get called back. And if they thought you were a C grade, I have to tell you one story. I'm not going to say any names, but so I'm sitting there six hours after your call time, you have a meal break. So they kind of make the day a 12 hour day traditionally. Okay. And six hours in is when you break for lunch. So okay. I was paired with a camera operator who hadn't worked there before. He, he, he was new to that show, but not a new camera operator. He was a fan of the show, a perfectly nice guy. But for whatever reason, the director felt like he wasn't quite getting it. And I knew that, but I thought that he would last the day and that would be it. Right. I was imagining. 
So we're sitting now six hours in and we're eating and the producer comes over and I'm sitting next to this operator and he says to the operator, listen, I just want you to know, please finish eating. Thank you very much. But um, we have another operator coming in immediately after lunch. So just go ahead and bill us for eight hours, but you'll eat and then you'll go. And thank you very much. And he looks at me and he says, oh my God, was that guy serious? And I said, yeah, he was. I'm sorry. Unfortunately, they, 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 they were, I mean, I'm laughing now. It, it wasn't so funny then, but they, they were sticklers for um, wanting the best. You know, they used to, one, one producer had a thing where he would say like, just in the course, it wasn't a threat. It was just a funny thing to him. He would say in the course of a day, like, this is going to be a really tough scene, but I know we can all do it because after all, this isn't the Gilmore Girls. He always used, I don't know what he hated about the Gilmore Girls, but he always used the Gilmore Girls as like, that's routine television, still shot with professional camera people. And if anybody worked on the Gilmore Girls and is watching this, don't take it personally because it was a very good show, very popular show. I may have even watched it. But the producer just said Gilmore Girls as a, generic way of well there's 24 and then there's all the other crap so <laughs> yeah they were they were sticklers but that was good because if you made it if you were part of that family you knew you could do anything yeah right? sure were, it was it was a tricky show it was a unique show and uh i was very happy to be a part of it it's it's in, it's incredible i mean some of this i mean some of the stuff it was it's, it's kind of just like not in my wheelhouse, you know what I mean? I've seen a few episodes of Desperate Housewives because, you know, Ava Longoria and stuff like that, you know what I mean? But I wasn't yeah. watching it and watching it. But, I mean, 24 was an incredible show. And I, listen, yeah, I'll admit it. When I was younger, I watched Beverly Hills 90210 with my sister all the time. Right. So, so that must have been, I mean, that show was gigantic it was gigantic it was the hugest thing on tv for a long time man for a very long time now i will say this i only did one season of 90210 right which was the second season it it lasted more than 10 years i don't know exactly how many but it went for a long time yeah uh, they were well out of high school by the time that thing ended oh of course right but, yeah but i I think, and I know this from talking to people who worked on it in various capacities after me, season two, which was my season, was really the, that was when they were out in the eye of the storm. That's, oh, when, yeah. that's when they decided, they, they being Fox, decided to beat everybody to the punch. And instead of having the fall lineup start in September, they said, while everyone has repeats, we're going to make of us a new our new shows in the summer, and we're going to have all these good-looking actors and actresses. Uh, that was the year they had the Beach Club. For anybody that was watching 90210, Brandon worked at the Beach Club, yeah. so that was a way to get those summer stories, plus yeah. to get the girls in bikinis. Yeah, I, that was the year I was there, and it was spectacular. Um, I can say that. Um, I remained friendly and worked with many of those people in front of and behind the camera. Um, I was shocked and devastated when Luke sadly passed away. Yeah. Um, 
I might have seen Luke Perry. I was working on a show called um, Major Crimes, which was the spinoff of The Closer. Yes. And Luke was coming by quite a bit, and he was an observer because he wanted to direct. And it was a wonderful reunion. And I want to say, I want to say he passed away six months after the last time I saw him. Wow. So, you know, that was shocking. I was like, wow. Like like that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere, but there's a few people, sadly, that for whatever, and I don't know the physiological reasons for it. It's why you should get your checkups often if if it it can be looked at, but um, you know, you can, you can have a stroke and perish like Luke did, sadly. And then I know another actor named Tim Amundsen, who I worked with on Judging Amy. He had a stroke as well, but he survived. Yeah. Um, So it's sort of a fine line where everything is. And um, yeah, it's sad. It's very sad. But um, my point really is, uh, that I got to see a lot of the people. That's the beauty of our profession is that there's, it, it's the biggest little town, Hollywood. I'm sure. You, you, you should be nice to everybody you work with because yeah. you never know, right? right? The same people you meet coming up, you're going to meet on the way down. Absolutely. True. I've seen it a million times. Yeah. And um, I'd like to think I'm nice to most people. I yeah. don't know. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, I try to be a nice guy as much as I possibly can. You know, you are a nice guy. I try. I try to be unless you're not nice to me, then I can be not nice as well. But there ain't no reason not to be nice. But now I, I want to go. go all right, so 92 was when you were on the set of 90210, right? 91 and 92. Correct. All right, so let's go in reverse about five years. And I want to I want to know stuff about being on the set of Masses of the Universe. Oh my! <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. We yes, <laughs> I'll tell you why that was an important job for me. Because once upon a time, Jimmy, I was the second assistant. Okay. I did the film, and I did the slate, and I helped the first assistant change lenses and hand stuff and carry stuff. Um, but I didn't have an impact on the image. I was, you know, I didn't touch the focus knob. Right. This, this job, um, masters was my first job as the first assistant. So in other words, my, my cinematographer at the time, his name is Hananya bear. He said, look, I'm going to promote my first assistant to operate. And I'm going to promote my second assistant to first assistant, which to people that are in the business listening right now, that's extremely rare and it's extremely risky because usually you only promote one of those two jobs. Because if you have two new people, it really could. And if it doesn't work well, then the framing's weird. The focus is weird. Everything's diseased. Right. If you have one or the other that still is a veteran at that job, then you can make adjustments, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I got promoted on Masters of the Universe. So I knew 
that I better do a really nice job. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, I, and I'm proud of that job because it wasn't easy. As I recall. I'm uh, sure it wasn't, man. No. I, grew, I grew up, I mean, I'm 45. So in 1980, you know, from 82 to 86, you know, I'd run home from school and watch the He-Man cartoon. And then when that movie came out, that was like gigantic for a little kid like me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how it comes off to a viewer like yourself. It's definitely different. I was kind of disappointed in the actual characters because it wasn't the actual cartoon version. That's that's always tough. But they actually felt like they were making they wanted to make something with the same gravitas as Star Wars. They were coming in there like this is just a popcorn movie. They really wanted to. I don't know if they achieved it, to be honest. I'd have to look at it again. But they wanted, they were having a good time making it, but they wanted it to be an important, it should be in the same conversation with Star Wars and whatever else. Right. uh, How was Dolph Lundgren? I like Dolph Lundgren very much. I met him him briefly at a convention a couple of years back. He seemed like a really nice guy. You know what? He absolutely uh, looked the part. I think yeah. that's undeniable. Yeah, he's like he Ivan Drago. It's Ivan Drago. Right. He had a little bit of an accent that they tried to get him to lose. Sure. But yeah, listen, he's from another planet. It works. Of course. <laughs> no, they were all good. Courtney Cox was there, don't forget. Yeah. Um, Billy Barty as uh, Gwildor. That was yeah. spectacular. Um, because, because once upon a time, see, I'm 60 years old. Right. So th- when I was a little kid, maybe, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, Billy Barty had a TV show in LA where he dressed like a ringmaster with a top hat and a, like a multicolored striped jacket. And he had a big top and he had all these kids in the audience and he would do little shticks and then he would cut up to a commercial. Then he'd cut to a cartoon. Then he'd come back to the kids. Well, it was a thing back then that if you had parents that could swing it, you could have your birthday bar- party on the Billy Barty show. Wow. My parents <laughs> knew I liked him. So I had this. So, of course, I, I have the temerity to say, here I am now, 1986, after the birthday party, I'm going to guess was 20 years earlier, at least. <laughs> I say, hey, Billy, I had my birthday party on your show. <laughs> like, he's going to say, sure, I remember you. Yeah, I remember. I remember. <laughs> but he couldn't have been a nicer guy. Uh, Frank Langella, spectacular. I'll tell you a little story about Frank. Frank Langella was Skeletor. They were all spectacular. But Frank, here's what you don't know. And I don't, and if Frank Langella is watching, I don't think he's going to mind me saying it because he's still working. He's in this nice movie that I saw on Netflix recently called uh, The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Okay. Judge. It's a very Mm. good movie. It was nominated for Academy Award in multiple categories. Really? Yeah. So um, Frank Langella, I don't know what it's called, but he has a thing with his eyes where, again, I'm going to try and explain it for the podcasters. Okay. And I don't know if I can show you on camera here, <laughs> but imagine if these are my pupils. Right. They go like this. Oh, uh, they like, they like. So they're wiggling around. He can't really hold his gaze. Yeah. His eyes are constantly jumping and it's weird. It so is, normally. Yeah. In normal movies, he uses eye drops really? so that it keeps his eyes like fixed, fixed without like, jumping. 
Sure. So for Skeletor, he said, well, why don't I not use these eye drops? Right. I have my eyes. So next time you watch that movie, look at his close-ups. His, his eyes are like, this is like, how does he do that? Well, right. it's, it's inv- involuntary, but it was unusual, nevertheless. Wow. Now, now, I definitely have to check it out next time I watch it. Yeah, yeah. But um, that was that was a very nice job. Dolph was great. They were all great. Um, did I say that there were many nights? Well, we shot a lot of nights where you would show up and at sundown you started and at sunrise you went home. Wow. And I remember because a lot of it takes place at night. Sure. We There was no CGI back then. There were digital... Right. It's all practical effects and everything. Like, I love that stuff. They built a giant spaceship and they're flying it down the street, you know? Those those pictures of you on set are incredible, especially the one where you're up on the crane with the big skeletal ship there. It's insane. Yeah. All that stuff was real. It's awesome. It took time and it had to be at night. No green screens, none of that stuff. Right. So, um, I remember when we all changed back to days we all looked at each other in the light and it's like we all look like shimmies yeah it was like <laughs> wow look at my complexion and it, it was uh it was interesting you know the funny thing about movies the good thing about movies is that um with rare exceptions you all feel like family right. there's a really tight bond that everybody makes and sadly it doesn't always last because there were a lot of people I worked with on Masters of the Universe that I'm not sure I, I ever ran into again professionally. Huh. There were a few that I did, but, you know, that, that's one of the nice things is that if you do, that's something that I've always tried to cultivate is to have a group of people that I work with often as opposed to I've got a million credits and I sought out where I wanted to work and whoever was there I worked with. There's merit to that too. Sure. But, but you know, I look back on my career, w- there's one cinematographer I worked with named Ken Zunder. And okay. Ken Zunder, I worked with exclusively pretty much from 1989 through 2017. So that's 28 years. And that is absolutely unheard of. The, I, I am in a big minority when it comes to someone in my capacity working with one boss, if you will, for that period of time on that quality of product. It really doesn't happen. And and I would have it no other way. That's so cool. And the group that I'm with now from All Rise, we just wrapped our second season of All Rise. And hopefully by the time this airs, they're going to be close to renewing it or maybe the following week. I awesome. think the week of, I think a week from today they might even announce the false lineup, but um, hope so. I would love it if there was a third season because I was there season one as well. But um, same thing with those two cinematographers, if I can say their names. Absolutely, David Harp, who I've been working with almost ten years now, and uh, Amanda Trays. There's there's alternate cinematographers where one does the odd numbered episodes one does the even numbered episodes um and while one is shooting the other is prepping with the future director so there's always like a leapfrog and it makes things go smoothly it wasn't always like that but it made things go smoothly 
Um, when you have two directors of photography or cinematographers, those two terms are interchangeable. Huh. So now, I mean, did you have conversation or did you hang out with in any capacity when you were with the, on the six days of shooting for The Outsiders with Tom Cruise? Because eventually you worked on Cocktail. I did work on Cocktail. And the only thing I can say there is... Um, He's a very nice guy. He's very intense. And I think you can see it in his acting. Yeah, um, you think? <laughs> yeah, but that's, I think that's a good thing. That's why he's Tom Cruise. Right. Um, so, um, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time with him that week I was in Tulsa because the only scene that he was in that I was there for was the rumble. The rumble. So in, in the, the thing is they all, the greasers and the socias, they fight in that empty lot, starts yep. to rain, and they're getting beat up. And I remember um, there was a good, I don't think it was in the movie, but, you know, he had this bit with this tooth. Yes. That's, that's, that's actually, he has a cap tooth. Okay. So they wanted him, either that tooth or maybe a neighboring tooth, I don't know how it was in the script, but he was supposed to get punched, and then a fake tooth gets spit out. Okay. And they spent hours doing that. So <laughs> I, I didn't really have, I didn't want to get in the way, although I was watching them rehearse it and I thought it was interesting, but um, I'm not sure it actually came across in the movie, but I think if I'm not mistaken, yeah, the only time I saw him on set would have been those first two nights um, at the Rumble. Now there were other actors like Ralph Macchio didn't have any scenes Right. Uh, he because in the story he would have been in the hospital. He's in the hospital, yeah. Yeah. So they shot the movie pretty much in chronological order. Okay. And I think that was by design because it was easier for a young cast to get their head around the chronology. Sure. Otherwise, you're you know you have to be a little more polished to understand that. Well, here you're happy. Here you're sad. Here you're because a lot of times it's shot out of order because yeah. of the locations. You're okay. So I, I got to visit with a lot of them, but you asked about Cruz. So um, I saw Tom Cruise in Tulsa. Then maybe a year later, I went with a group of my friends. You know, the funny thing is, I, I, I was 21 years old when, when I was invited to The Outsiders. By today's standards, that's an adult. Sure. A lot of I didn't have a lot of living I didn't have a lot of life ex as a 21 year. I have, I have a son who's 22. I have a son who's 18. They're far less naive today than I was then. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I naive 21. Sure. So I, I was, and, and they were all more or less my age. I'm going to guess Cruz was 19 or 20 in, right. in 1982, but I, someone could look that up and you can see for sure. He Give or take a year or two. Whatever. He seemed that to me. So anyway, I'm out with a group of my friends. So now, you know, I consider us peers, more or less, a year or two here and there. And here in Los Angeles, for those that are old enough to remember, there was a, where well, you'd go on the weekend and you would go to these dance clubs. Right. We have a radio station in Los Angeles called K-Rock. Yes. New Wave. And, you know, they'd have the disc jockeys come and they'd spin. And it was like a big deal. So mm -hmm. there was this club in Santa Monica called Santa Monica called the 321 Club. And I got the name because that was the address. 321, I guess, Santa Monica Boulevard. It might have been Wilshire. Somebody I'd have to look that up. 
but that was the address on the building. So I walk in there and I'm with a group of people and they all know that I was in Tulsa recently and they know about the story. So now over at the bar someplace is Cruz, Rob Lowe, Emilio, maybe one other, I don't remember, but definitely those three. So everybody's elbowing me and especially the girls. Randy, didn't you just see them in Tulsa? Go over there and introduce us. And listen, Jimmy, these were simpler times. I didn't have the thought in my head, leave them alone. they, They were on set. I was a guest. That was a one-time thing. No, I thought, of course, why wouldn't I? Right. Go and say hello to these guys. (laughs) Every one of them was a perfect gentleman hugging me. Great to see you. Spectacular. Can I introduce? Yes, bring them over. So that was spectacular. So that was 82, maybe 83. Mm -hmm. When was Cocktail? I don't remember. 90? Cocktail, I was eight. I'm going to say, if I was to guess, I would say 89. Somebody has to look that up. Now, I didn't work on the all of Cocktail. I, right. I worked on most of it. Um, there was another camera crew that they sent to Jamaica. There was another camera crew they sent to Toronto, I think. I did all the stuff here. So we were, a lot of the bars and stuff were in LA and at the studio at Disney Studios in Burbank. Gotcha. So I show up on Cocktail and... Um, there's Tom Cruise. Now, I think enough time was that he didn't, that he wouldn't look at me and say, oh, there's Randy. All but right. when I had a chance, I said, hey, Tom, yes. I said, listen, I just want to say hello. I'm the guy in Tulsa that, and in the middle of my sentence, he says, oh, man, tell me your name again. You're the guy with the shoes and the Rolling Stone. No way. That's yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. So, it, what can I say? I, yeah. listen, if there if there are actors that deserve to get beat up, I may or may not beat them up with, for you. But, <laughs> but if there are actors that deserve to be exalted, and and I can only tell you my personal experience. Yeah. I have to report. That's my personal experience. So yeah. Um, I, yeah, I've been lucky. Everybody I've worked with, I've really, with rare exceptions. Yeah. You want to hear an exception? I do, but I don't expect you to drop names because that's just not, you know, I, I don't expect you to. Yeah. Unless you want to, Randy. Well, but. I'll I'll, gi- I'll give you one. I'll give you one. I love it. But before I do, I want to just say, before I forget, that um, if anybody is watching from All Rise or if anybody is listening from Judging Amy or any of the shows that I've worked on, I consider each and every one of the cast members uh not only just spectacular at their craft, mm-hmm. but just genuinely nice people to work with. Yeah. And it's sort of a dance, you know, there's, I have to anticipate where, what they're going to do. And if it changes a little bit, I have to be right on the ball with the focus. And there's a lot of sort of uh, unspoken cooperation going on. And I think when there's mutual respect, it works best. Sure. And I've always been fortunate in that regard. Now, if somebody is going to say I shouldn't talk about somebody who's deceased, I don't know. I'm thinking about it, but maybe I'll give you one. Because because I, in the, in the, <laughs> this never happened to me in my whole career, except this one time. 
So, well, I don't want you to get in trouble or anything. Not in trouble, but you know, I don't want it to mess you up in any way if you decide to mention the name of my podcast. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I won't. But there was, I'll tell you the story and then I'll let you, maybe you can guess who it is. So All right. I'm, I'm working on a movie. As what a movie? movie? <laughs> well, if I tell you the movie, you'll know who it is. Ah, well, there's a lot of people in the movie, Randy. No. He's, <laughs> let me put it to you this way his face is on the poster. Okay. Okay. So I'm working on this movie as the second assistant. This is before I moved up to my current job. And part of my job is to put these T marks, these tape marks that look like T's on the floor during rehearsals where the actors stand, they go back to put on their clothes and their makeup, and then we light with stand-ins. Okay. Everybody knows what that means. Um, So this one actor on this movie liked to beat people up. He was, I wouldn't say he was a bad guy, but he was mercurial. And he um, enjoyed making people feel bad and pushing buttons. So um, I put down a mark for this actor, as I often did, but it was my day to be picked on. What year is this movie? I'll come back to that. Okay. I'll give you a chance to guess. So um, it, it was my day to be picked on, but for whatever reason, Jimmy, I wasn't in the mood to have it. I okay. absolutely wasn't. I put the mark down on the floor. He looks at it. He looks at me. He looks at the mark again. He looks at me. And with this shit-eating grin on his face, he says, which was not exactly friendly, but he says, hey, kid. You ever done this before? And uh, without blinking an eye, these were my exact words. I said, what? Lay a mark for an actor or argue about it with a jerk like you? Oh, uh, he didn't like that. <laughs> it's fucking silent in the room. Everybody's like, are you kidding me? I look past this actor to my boss, the director of photography, and he's white now. And he's oh. thinking, and we were, we were in Washington, D.C., and it wasn't beyond him to say, listen, I don't let people talk to me like that. You're out of here and they'll send me home 3,000 miles. And I could look at my director of photography and he's saying, his gear's turning. No, there's no way I can save this guy. No way. And after that silence, he starts to laugh. And that was the, that was the lucky thing is that he didn't get upset. He and that's sort of what, and I was serious, Jimmy. I was like, I wasn't having it. I, he was, I witnessed him being a little mean to some people and I didn't quite care for it. And I wasn't going to allow him to do that to me. This is the oh. only time in my whole career it ever happened. And um, he just wanted to get it. He liked to push people's buttons and he only respected you if you gave it back to him. Okay. Now I'll give you, here, here's the biggest hint I can give you. Two people came to me after he left and the, you know, because remember that was the mark for the rehearsal. Now he's getting ready. Now the we're lighting and setting the camera with the stand-ins and stuff. Two people came to me right away and said, good for you. I am glad you stood up to that jerk. Um, one of them was his stand-in, this actor stand-in who was some kind of relative. So he hired him. And so he worked on all of his movies. He was a relative. He says, good for you. I'm glad you didn't take that crap from him. The other person, here's your big clue. The other person who said, you know what? I'm glad you put him in his place was his wife, 
who was his co-star. <laughs> I, I, I'm on a particular, like while you're talking, I'm, I want to say C, but now I'm second guessing myself. It wasn't Travolta, was it? I never worked with Travolta. Oh, I did work with oh, Travolta. Primary Colors, yeah. Primary <laughs> Colors. Exactly. You know why I didn't forgot about him? And <laughs> while you're thinking, let me just, I forgot about John Travolta because Billy Bob Thornton was such a remark. I mean, Travolta, I don't want, I'm not bad-mouthing Travolta. Right. But when I worked on Primary Colors, I had just seen Sling Blade. Have you ever seen Sling Blade? Incredible. And incredible. Billy Bob is an incredible, incredible actor. In every possible way. That script, that story, that yeah. kid, co-star, that everything about it. Mm -hmm. So I'm now with Billy Bob Thornton on set and I'm looking at him like, no, I can't see any of this character. I don't hear the voice. And I knew he put it on. I knew he shaved his hair and I knew he you know, did that voice, but it's like, there's nothing coming out. It's like a completely different person. Cause usually you can see a little something, you know, there's, uh -huh. something, there's a, <laughs> I've never seen a bigger transformation in my life. He is, I mean, there's so many movies. He just looks like a completely different person. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't say I know a lot of Billy Bob Thornton's work, but that when I sit, think of primary colors, there's a couple things I think of. One of them is definitely, I kept looking at him like, are you kidding me? Uh-huh. Wow. It was just dazzling, dazzling. Well, think of, I'll tell you at the very end. Okay, because I already, I, already, I already told you that the actor is deceased, and I already told you his wife was the co-star. That's kind of why I feel like I can tell the story because yeah he's why not he's not gonna haunt me <laughs> right should I, just, should I just tell you in case yeah why not know? don't tell me tell all the people listening all this occurred with charles bronson really charles bronson was a very mercurial sort at least on that movie i can't i never worked with him before what movie was that it was it was released as assassination but at the time it was called the president wife and it was this yarn where he's in charge of the secret service in the detail um protecting the first lady who wow. is his wife jill ireland so um it was a vehicle for the two of them to be together same production company as masters of the universe by the way okay and um you put charlie bronson in his place <laughs> put charles bronson in his place and, and, you know, what can I say? I, I don't, I'm not proud of it. Right. I, I can laugh because I wasn't fired. Right. But it, I think it's a unique, it's an unforgettable story to me. The feather in your cap, because obviously people, people were too scared to say anything to him. That's why he was getting away with it. I, it, it appears that's the case. Yeah. It I mean, that's what I got from it. Yeah. You know, and I was creeping around like, you know, your, your Facebook page and your Instagram and stuff like that. And there's several people you've worked with, with several times, like Terry Hatcher, you've worked with several times, who I think is awesome, too. That's true. And she is awesome. We, we also have it's not the same year. She's younger than me, but our birthdays are the same day. So what's okay. great about it is I did Lois and Clark with her. And mm -hmm. I did Desperate Housewives with her. Yeah. So if we're both working on our birthdays, then you know, it's double cake day. So that's, that's cool. Always, yeah, that's always cool. 
and yeah, she's um, she's hardworking. She's gracious. She's a little bit of a tough one when it comes to the writers and the okay. directors because she has a a strong opinion. Um, but she's also but that comes from her wanting to do a great job. Sure. So I respect that. But she's spectacular to the crew. Yeah. Right? Guys like me and whoever is is on the set on a daily basis. Yeah. Wonderful to work with her. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, who would, oh. One quick thing about Desperate Housewives. Sure. And, I, and, I, and I'm not privy to tell stories because they're all still around. Right. Like any major production, which is, turns out to be a global phenomenon, which has egos involved, there's going to be some drama. Of course. That, th- whatever drama that there was, and there was some, and I'm sure it got ironed out, th- all the ladies were gracious enough to keep it off the set. Being on the crew, we never saw any resentment or really? acrimony. It was all about the work and doing it in the... In a professional manner? Like you're being adults and being professional? Yeah. Have a good time. Don't be there longer than you have to be. We work a lot of hours. Sure. And nothing is worse than working too long because you get tired and you start later the next day and it ruins your weekend. Mm -hmm. The best feeling is to be able to finish your entire shoot day in a decent amount of time having a decent product. That's the ultimate. That's what everybody sure. wants. Incredible, man. What a crazy, like this pictures with so many, like um, Richard Pryor shows up uh, on set. You have pictures with Richard Pryor. You have pictures with Roy Scheider. Like all these, I'm looking at all your pictures. I'm like, this guy must have 50,000 incredible stories about all these people. I do. And um, I do. Yeah. The thing is that one of the blessings about being in my capacity is that, and this is, it's not so much true today, sadly, the way photography is in the digital era, Mm -hmm. we're removed from being right next to the camera. And we just filmed this, uh, or we just shot digitally. Mm -hmm. I say filmed, but everybody should know. Of course. uh, an entire ep- a season during a pandemic, right? Where there were now multiple layers of uh, protocols where I barely spoke to any of the actors. If I saw them at a distance with my mask and my face shield on, I was lucky for that. That must have been a crazy, I guess, at lack of a better word, like a learning curve of like uncomfortability in order to in order to make things happen because you're doing this for so long. Next thing you know, you have this whole pandemic involved. It had to have been. It, it, it was. And I, and I'll, and I'll, if you want to delve into that a little bit, I will, but I just want to mention before I forget the, the pictures with the actors. So a lot of those pictures were, I already, I, I wouldn't have asked for a picture if I didn't have a rapport with like you say, Richard Pryor or with right. Roy Scheider. Yeah. It wasn't like, who are you? Okay. Uh, it was, yeah, Randy, whatever, because people typically at that time, this was my, I guess, blessing and foresight. People at that time wanted autographs sure. or an autograph picture. 
Yeah. I, to me, that was worthless because half the time you couldn't even read their writing. True. Like, Who is this again? Or what do I need a picture for? Right. Uh, I would rather be in the picture and everybody, nobody had a cell phone then, right. let alone a cell phone camera, but right. everybody had a Polaroid because yeah. that's how they did the continuity pictures. Like if you were, if you were in your own scene as you're sitting there now, I want to, and we're going to shoot later down the road in the same room. I want to see which cap you're wearing. I want to see how your mustache looks. I want to see how your shirt looks. So I would take a Polaroid of Jimmy Ferrari and I'd put it in a book. And if we ever return to this podcast and right. you want it to look the same, you would use that as a guide. So gotcha. everybody had Polaroids. So I would say, hey, to whoever was out there with a Polaroid camera, can you take a picture of me and Richard Pryor or Roy or, or countless others? And the beauty of Polaroids is that, and I'm always amazed when I look through my book, those things never fade. They don't. As long as you keep, no. As long as you, they're, they're exactly how they look on uh, my social media. Yeah. As long as you keep them in a book and out of the direct sun, those yeah. colors are vivid. Yeah, I have, I have several of them from like when I was a kid of me, like pictures of me from a Polaroid camera, me, my parents, my sister, when we were little in the backyard, children, like little kids, always Polaroids. And I had them in a photo album and they, they're like perfect condition. They, they, the colors are the same from 40 something years ago. So, and you know, and I, Jimmy, I have a lot of pictures to be honest with you. I'm sure you do. In, in, in the, over the last X amount of years, on my social media, I put up, there's a hashtag called T, TBT, which is Throwback Thursday. Right. That's when I post a Polaroid. And I got to tell you, I'm years into this. That's 52 a year. I'm not really close to winding down. I, people want to know who I work with often. When are you going to have, run out? And right. the answer is... You'll know when you see these last two. I'm saving for my last two throwbacks. Uh, Gregory Peck. Wow. And Orson Welles. No shit. Believe it or not, I have pictures and worked with both of those esteemed wow, gentlemen. So Orson Welles is going to be my swan song. Once you see Orson, I don't have any more. And wow. I don't, really don't want to recycle and repeat. Right, I, I want to retire. <laughs> At some point, I want to retire and move on to something. We'll do more Delta Bravo stuff. There you go. Well, you you have some incredible location spots. Like I see all the time, you're posting things like the corner where Pee Wee Herman runs out of the pet shop to save the animals, and it's like there and all these things. It's like what an awesome opportunity for somebody who like me who loves to find locations and. I, I guess, lack of a better word, iconic spots from movies and TV shows. It's like you're on the freaking Warner Brothers backlots and all these, that stuff. Right. It's incredible. These, these are different because um, I, I have tickets to the backlot of Warner Brothers. Right. I'm an employee there. Um, I guess the last person that I had as a visitor pre-pandemic was Danny. He wanted to see the spot where the Prince album cover was. I knew that's what you were going to say. I, I yeah. knew he wanted to see the Prince staircase. He wanted to see the Prince stairs. I knew you were going to say that. A bunch of movies. Um, Annie. It was Annie. Annie. Yeah, Spider-Man. Um, um, Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. 
Okay. Wow. All those, all those movies that that, that stand right there on that spot. That's called Tenement Alley, which is directly behind a street called Hennessy Street. Okay. Um, but and actually, there was an episode of uh, All Rise filmed there this season because we've because now this is now pandemic. If you want to talk about that for a couple minutes, sure. Our 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 show felt like it wasn't safe to go to downtown LA where we would normally shoot because this takes place in the uh, Superior Court building of uh, the Los of in Los Angeles, which is at the corner of Temple and Hope, I think. Sorry, I don't remember, but it's the um, it's the Hall of Justice for those that know downtown LA well. It's a building from 1925. And this is where supposedly the Superior Court of Los Angeles County is where this story takes place. Um, so they don't wanna go downtown in a pandemic and we're all grateful that they didn't wanna go. So they used a lot of the back lot, they used a lot of the green screen, but you can't help but notice that, yeah, you're right in front of Annie Steps and Prince Steps. Uh, funny thing is, um, the lady that plays Judge Carmichael on our show, her name is Simone Missick, okay. wonderful actress and a gracious lady. She told me that she's a big Prince fan. So okay. I told her that the album cover is on the back lot and she didn't really um, pursue going there. She just, yeah, maybe down the road, you'll show me where it was, but that was down the road. Now we're shooting there and, um, so I took a picture, a screen grab of her and Wilson Bethel, who was her co-star in that scene in front of those steps. So I send her now a mash and Delta Bravo people know that term. I send her a picture of Prince's album cover and a Prince of her standing there, a picture print of her standing there. And, you know, check this out. There's the place that I was talking about. And she said, man, I love that. So. That's amazing, dude. People, I, people, I would love to walk around on there. What a crazy! It's like I did. I did a thing recently. Eh, it was like I don't know. It's weird. Pandemic time, so it's like my timing is weird. So a little over a year ago, I went to Connecticut to to do something, and on my way down, I stopped off in it's like the New Rochelle area, I think, and it was on uh, what the hell's the name of the street? Starts with an A. Jesus Christ, I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, I make the left. I have it in my GPS. I make the left and I'm going down the street. And I feel like, because I was on the set of Goodfellas, where Henry walks from Karen's mother's house across and pistol whips the guy in the driveway. You know what I'm right. talking about that part? Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm standing there and I'm looking there and that's Karen's house and that's the driveway and it's exactly the same. So right. it's like, I was just like, this is very strange. So to be walking around like on the back out of Warner Brothers, I would be having that feeling all over the place. Yeah, it, it, it is magical. I, I've worked at every major studio over the years. Uh, Warner Brothers is definitely one of my favorites. I, every lunch hour, you get 60 minutes. I eat for 20 minutes, 30 minutes if I'm with someone. And then I always excuse myself and say, listen, uh, thank you. I, I got to ride around. I have my bike at the studio. I see you on your bike. <laughs> yeah. So, and I ride around, I look at these spots, I see people filming. 
you know, you could be that same street. We were talking about the Prince album cover was recently turned into Paris. They brought in all kinds of paving stones and Renaults and Citrones and decorated. They spent a fortune turning this into Paris. It was absolutely fantastic. You know, you got to see all that different stuff. You know, it's it's like exploring. It's like I work there, but it's I've never lost the thrill of knowing that I'm like a kid in a candy store. Absolutely. A lot of of people I know, which is nice. And then a lot of people, some people I don't know, but I get to see how other people are doing their yeah. craft and how what a, uni- what a unique opportunity and place to be, man. It is. I mean, how many people can say, okay, at lunchtime, I got to go to the uh, Warner Brothers property department and hold the Maltese Falcon, sit at the piano from Casablanca. I mean, it's just like, are you kidding me? This stuff should be in the Smithsonian. Yeah, I, I saw that Maltese Falcon picture. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man. And it, should, it absolutely should be in the Smithsonian. Yeah, so listen, they're not supposed to let people handle that. Right. But, um, you could have put it on the shirt and went home with it, man. I, I could, well, yeah, no. But, no. I, <laughs> but I, I, but, you know, if you charm the right people and you're just, you know, and everybody's there, they know. Yeah. They know that, you know, they work at the property house. They know that uh, they're not only customers that have to prop their shows, but there are people that work on the lot that are fans. Sure. You know, want to make you happy. They yeah. even got the leg lamps in there from, uh, from Christmas story. Really? The ones that were on camera. Yeah. Wow, man. There's a million copies, but they have the real ones. That's incredible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of fun stuff to do uh, at Warner brothers. And I hope once really the pandemic is in the rearview mirror, and I'm not sure exactly when that'll be, I have a list of friends that have asked me, please, you let Danny in, now yeah. it's my turn, right? Uh, and well, uh-huh. it, it, I, every, it has to be in the rearview mirror. Because sure. with all these protocols, you I, can't I, do it. I, I, I was subjected, and this was sobering because I, I never thought about it. It's just like you go to work, you do your thing, you go in. Yeah. But the producer on the last night of this past season thanked everybody for being so diligent with the um, COVID protocols and said something like, we, all subge- we were all subjected uh, to over 200 nasal swabs. Wow. Like, are you kidding? I guess that's right. Because it was five days a week. We went in, you, you got to the studio. And if you told them that you didn't have a fever or any symptoms, then they let you in. And your first stop was the COVID uh, trailer where they had all the nurses and you do your swab. And some of them were the rapid kind where 15 minutes later, they'd say, okay, you can go in or the other kind where the takes a little longer, but it's a lot more reliable. Um, huh. There's such a thing as a false positive, which means you get furloughed. And there's such a thing as a false negative, yeah. which means you actually have COVID and you're at work with everybody. Correct. But that's why they made you wear a mask and a face shield. Because yeah. if there was a guy or girl that was um, positive, but came out negative falsely, at least everybody's social distancing and PPE hopefully would keep everybody safe. Hopefully. And 
there were there were pretty low instances at the studio as a whole for people awesome. who actually had COVID. That's so good. I mean, in, in 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 Los Angeles when it was really spiking this year, yeah, Warner Brothers, if you made it a little city, which it is, was our numbers were very good. So I always felt going to work, I was in the safest place in in, in town when the numbers here were bad. Yeah, I mean, this was like ground zero, for lack of a better friggin' term. I mean, you know, no pun intended, but ground zero in New York. But I mean, this place was insane too. I mean, I'm going. I thank God I, I didn't stop working throughout this entire thing. And I'm on the subway back and forth every single day, twice a day, this entire time. I did not, I have not stopped working. And I've told this a couple of times before on the podcast, but I'll say it to you because I think you'll know this because it involves Tom Cruise. Um, the beginning of the movie Vanilla Sky, when he wakes up and he drives and he's in Times Square and there's nobody in Times Square. And they really shut down Times Square for like six hours and they filmed that. It wasn't CGI or anything. They legit shut it all down. Me and my ex-girlfriend, we, we went there and it was just like that. And I, and I did some mashes from Vanilla Sky because there was nobody there. I'm standing in the middle of Times Square, in the middle of the street, like with no taxi cabs, nothing. Like a dozen people maybe in sight, which was bizarre. Bizarre. It was creepy, man. Yeah. And, and, and I'm walking down at one point, I'm walking down Madison Avenue and I very rarely go like live on Facebook or anything, but I felt like I should because just whoever was on my friends list from all over the country, I'm walking down Madison Avenue for I don't know how many blocks on the double yellow line and I'm walking down one way and there was like one time within like six blocks where I just actually literally had to like get out of the way for one car. And this isn't like Russia. This is like 5.30 in the afternoon, like on a Wednesday. And it's just like, what is going on here? It almost felt like I didn't belong because I was the only person walking around the city in the middle of the street with no one around. It was like a movie. It was like right. a freaking movie, man. Right. What a bizarre feeling that is. So, you, so what's your route? What, you're, are you a subway uh, yeah. driver? No, no, I, no. I'm a, I'm a handyman in a 21-story commercial building on 45th and Vanderbilt in Manhattan. Oh, okay. So, uh, so I commute via subway. I see. That's your route to work. You don't work for the subway. No, I don't work for the MTA or anything like that. No, I work. I'm, I'm in a union. And I'm, it's a, it's a, it's all like white collar stuff. It's like stocks and and retirement funds and hedge funds. It's all white collar stuff in in my building. I'm right across you from the MetLife building, and. I don't even know what they do in there. I'll tell you the truth. I walk in there, there's screens and computers and stocks everywhere. And I don't know what they're doing, but I maintain the building myself and one other guy during the day. Got it. When you were um, uh, in Times Square with 12 people, was one of them cruised? No, <laughs> but I was taking pictures and I lined up Tom Cruise running down the empty Times Square. And it was, it's just, Crazy. I'll send you the picture. I'll tag you into something because I mean, a lot of people say it's a great time to go exploring if you want to go outside. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there's nobody in the way. There's no cars in the way. And a lot of times that stuff gets in the way. But 
It was do very, very the, Do you think people that watch and listen to this podcast, what percentage would you say of your audience, Jimmy, are people that actually do uh, urban exploration as we know it? Not very many. So probably not many, but I like to throw it out there for several reasons. One, I enjoy it. And I speak with people. I used to, this used to be just basically a a quote unquote hardcore music podcast and basically just people in like heavy bands and stuff like that. And then eventually I felt like I was having the same conversation with different people over and over again. So, and, and I never, I never, I don't make money doing this. I do this because I enjoy it. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to just pigeonhole myself into one thing. So I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do. And that's that. I don't care. So I speak about that stuff because I had Danny on a couple of times and Nako and Mona, and we all have the same interests. And I'm, I love the whole ex- urban exploration thing. And you know, I, I, I talk about it not just because I love it, but also because who says it? I believe it's Nako says it. He puts it perfectly. I'm going to paraphrase it, not to quote you, Nako, but it, it's, it's, it doesn't cost you anything. All you need is a phone, which everyone has, and it gives you a reason to get out of the house. You know what I mean? Yeah. Go and, and then also... I, I have a certain experience with certain places that I find, whether it's really hard to find or it has like, you know, sentimental, you know, nostalgic value to me when I find a specific spot and I, I do it. And then like, let's just say I find a spot and the whole background, like today, it looks completely different. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I line it up and I post it and it just shows people how things have changed the history of the surrounding area. A lot of people don't even realize that this was shot there. This happened here. You know, like for instance, I walk down 42nd street all the time. I walk right past the, 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 the New York library every single day. Last year was the first time I realized that the closing credits of the odd couple, when Felix Unger grabs the taxi cab handle was right there. I had no idea. And I walked past that every single day Right. years. You know what I mean? So things like that, it's like, wow, like I didn't know that that's kind of cool. So I put it out there a lot in hopes that people will jump on it and enjoy it. Um, but back to your original question, cause I'm rambling on how many people percentage wise, not many at all. Now well, here's, here's why I asked, because um, if I may, I'd like to be an advocate for a minute for people who may be listening still. Sure. Don't really relate. I told you I became aware of Delta Bravo the day I met Danny. Right. And gave him that T-shirt the first day that we became friends. Um, But here's the funny thing. I didn't know it was called urban exploration. I didn't know it was called mashing. But I was doing it beforehand. I just didn't know what it was. So I want to give a couple of examples where people can incorporate this into their lives. So think about if you're just a tourist, if you find yourself in Pisa, Italy, and you see the tower leaning, you know that there's countless people that are um, 
doing that forced perspective bit where they're holding the tower from tipping uh-huh. over. You know that if you find yourself on Abbey Road in England, you're gonna, and you see the crosswalk, you're right. gonna have to walk, preferably with three of your friends, in step, like the yeah. Beatles album cover, right? right? That's urban exploration, but right. there's countless tourists that do it that never heard those words. Correct. So here's what I was doing prior to what we call mashes and movie sites and album covers, right? Because again, being at Warner Brothers, I can gain access to these movie sites that the average person can't get in. So right. I'm putting it out there for those that may be interested. And you'd be surprised how many people at Warner Brothers I've had, I can count them on two hands, maybe I need the third hand. Many people have told me, important people at the studio, you know what, Randy, this is unbelievable. We really need to make a book. So uh, possibly it's in the works. That would be great, man. Yeah, yeah. But we'll have to, we'll have to get somebody professional to do it. Like, d- does Phil listen to this podcast? Phil who? Phil with the V-neck black t-shirt? The Mad Russian? The Mad Russian? Yeah, he might. Me, maybe, he, he, maybe he'll listen to this episode. I'm not sure if he listens. He'll listen to this one, though. To me, he's the yardstick to which everyone, I don't know how he does it, but he does it to a high order. He does. So if, Phil, if you're watching or listening, if we do the book, I need you to bring your camera. But yeah. after the pandemic. But before I met Danny, this is what I was doing where people could possibly relate to this. If you have kids and you have a picture, you're not thinking about it when you have the original picture. You're taking pictures of kids because that's what loving parents do. Now you find yourself in another spot and you, or you look at a picture, like I have a picture of my sons at a lighthouse in San Pedro, close to where I live, where they're, I would say, uh, four years old, and eight years old in the pictures, okay? And the plants are a certain height, the fence is a certain height. So I took them back there, this is before I met Danny. I took them back there and I said, kids, look at this picture, I wanna try and recreate it. Now the plants are at their ankles instead of at their thighs. Now the fence is this height instead of towering over them, but everything else is the same, the lighthouse, the background, the ocean, whatnot. So to do those pictures with people X amount of years apart, and I've done that with actors too. I worked, I'll give you an example. Um, there's an actor named Peter McNichol. Okay. And if you don't know who he is, look at him. Sounds familiar. He was in 24. Okay. He was in Sophie's Choice, played a beautiful role in Sophie's Choice. He's also on All Rise. And I worked with him on Chicago Hope. So I come in and I say, hey, Peter. And I had a picture of he and I from Chicago Hope. I said, this is 1995. He says, wow, Randy, that really looks great. Uh, Thank you for showing me that. I said, Peter, I'd love to recreate this. Absolutely. So you, you try and get on the same side and you pose it as best you can. So now I have a picture of me and Peter McNichol 25 years apart. That's awesome. You can do that with friends. You can do that with coworkers if you're lucky to work with someone that you enjoy that long, or your kids. That's a form of urban exploration. Sure. So ponder that, 
those that are listening that, well, I don't really do that because I'm not that big a movie fan. Well, you don't have to be a movie fan. Anyone who's married, get your wedding picture. And on an anniversary, you might not have a tuxedo and a gown that fits. But if it was in some place that you can visit or in some fashion, it's something nice to do. It's kind of a it's a photographic document that would equal putting the notches in the wall when you're monitoring the kids' height. Exactly. It's a before and after in one. You're celebrating the differences as well as the similarities. Correct. Yeah. You don't know until you see the pictures. Yeah. It's like when I started doing this stuff, I was one day, I was in, there's a a park here in in Canarsie, the neighborhood in Brooklyn called Seaview Park. And I was with my daughter one day and there's these two pictures that I have of one of one is just me on a baby swing. And then the other one is my father, me sitting on a bike. I'm an infant and my sister and I'm sitting on the bike and my mother took these pictures and I'm walking through this park and I'm like, I haven't been here in years. So I wound up like basically mashing like an old picture of myself because I didn't post it like on Delta Bravo group. It was more of a personal thing, but it kind of looked the same. And it was just like, I showed my daughter this and she was young. I'm like, check this out. Like, look, this is me. I'm a little kid with a giant head, little baby. And now this is where I was. And this is where your grandfather was and check it out. And she's like, oh, it's kind of cool. And she's actually requested a few things. Dad, let's go Delta Bravo, some stuff, you know, like, that's so she's all into it too. She's finding locations. She's 11, like a few weeks back. We're down in the, down in the lower east side of the village. And she's like, dad, you know, that basketball diaries was filmed over here. I'm like, what? She's like, she's on her phone and she's finding spots. And she's like, look, here's the school. And here's the picture. This is, that's where Leonardo DiCaprio is. And she's, I'm like, really? I'm like, you go and have at it. Like, this is awesome that you're 11 and you're all into this stuff. You know, it's great. That is great. Yeah, man. Good, good for you. Yeah. I remember I remember my kids when they were 11. It's a great age. Oh, she's she's the best, man. She's yeah. she's my little sidekick. She's my buddy, man. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Do you mind if I throw out I have three sponsors I need to shout out real fast? I don't like Absolutely. Talk. Are you a coffee guy, Randy? I am. Oh. But I'm a co- I'm a coffee snob. I, I've had the same coffee roaster uh, supplier for my particular blend uh-huh. since 1993. So I'm uh-huh. a hard person to convert, but I'm telling you right now, I'm about to hear a great coffee <laughs> roaster. And if my if my if Chat's Coffee ever goes uh, uh, retires, right. I think they might. Uh, I am about to try your coffee. Okay. Well, it's not my coffee. I am lucky enough and proud to say that there's <laughs> funny. Um, Dead Sled Coffee. They're on Instagram. Just how it's just how it sounds. D-E-A-D-S-L-E-D coffee. Dead Sled Coffee. Um, if you go to deadsledcoffee.com and you type in the promo code Brooklyn Blast, you'll get 15% off your order. And any order over 60 bucks is free shipping within the United States. But now what's cool with them is you might be a coffee snob, but this isn't a snobby place, Randy. 
Um, right. they, they, um, what's cool is they love movies and music and it's run by only a couple of people and they've done like official licensing with like, um, Robert Anglin from nightmare on Elm street, Freddy Krueger. And they yeah. have like, a a nightmare blend. They have um, a Bella Lugosi blend, a vampire blend, and actually a movie that you worked on. They just did a deal. You can pre-order it now. This is see, it's perfect. They just put out, or they're putting out an Elvira blend, and it's her. Yeah, it's yes. I'm going to absolutely order an Elvira blend. Okay. Deadsled.com. Deadsledcoffee.com. Dead thank you. Deadsledcoffee.com. Yeah. The promo code Brooklyn Blast. Blast. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they 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 do a lot of cool things. They they do things with music, like officially licensed KISS, all four members of KISS. They have special bags and all four members of KISS. And um, I mean. Cypress Hill, they're doing something with. They're doing something with Kane Hodder, who played Jason on Friday the 13th a million times. They do a lot of really cool stuff. And I was drinking it before they even became a sponsor. So I'm not just saying this. Um, so, but they have everything from like cold brews to tea to espresso blends to morning blends, light blends. But they're awesome and they're really good people. I, and get, the feeling, I get the feeling, Jimmy, that you would not. Um, sponsor passionately a product that you didn't love yourself. It's true. I wouldn't. I, I feel like you choose you choose the guests on your show that you want to talk to. Sure. And and the products that you have are also the ones that you enjoy. Yeah. So I'm definitely getting an Elvira blend. Awesome. Now, do, you, do you grind your own beans? I don't. Have I, I have it ground already. I do too. I've yeah. never, I mean, as much as I'm locked into my particular, because I'm a creature of habit, but uh, I will try something new. I, I'm not that much of a snob where I have to grind right before. Yeah, my I've whole being, I can't, too much work. I've had that before. It just makes a mess. Either I'm not doing it right. It does make not, a mess. I, I, as soon as I get it, it's in the, the proper bag. Yeah. And I parse it out into a glass jar. Yeah. I have a with a lid a and a rubber gasket. So it, my, I feel like my coffee's always fresh. There you go. Dead sled coffee, give it a Elvira. shot. Elvira. Can I tell you one quick thing about Elvira? And this of course. Is, this is not her fault, but this <laughs> was at the time a very weird fact of my career. So I did, and I, we'd have to look at the chronology. I don't remember who came first. I think it was Elizabeth Taylor. I don't really remember. But in a very short span of time, I did a movie with Elizabeth Taylor, recognized around the world as a movie star. Wow. And with all due respect, Elvira, if she took her costume off, not everybody would know who she is. Absolutely not. She looks nothing like Elvira. Right. Except Pee Wee Herman knows who she is, Cassandra. So usually at that time, one of the litmus tests to know whether there was, there's such a thing as work in our profession that is union, where you get the union benefits, sure. the union pay, the union work conditions, and non-union, which is a little less, I mean, with all due respect, there are some good non-union shows. I just don't do them. Right. But 
they there's there's a reason why they're there. People have to start somewhere. Sure. But what I'm getting at is I did a movie with Elizabeth Taylor that was non-union. Wow. Followed by a movie with Elvira that was union. I actually made more money working with Elvira than Elizabeth Taylor, which is weird because it's the very weird. It's the sign of the times. Mm -hmm. Even though Elizabeth Taylor is a much larger star. Sure. At that point in her career, she Uh had waned. She was in the Betty Ford Clinic. She took off a bunch of weight. She was great when I worked with her. And I posted pictures on my throwbacks with Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Taylor. And I feel blessed that I was ever in the same room with that unbelievable uh, force of nature. Unreal. A lot of good. She gave to a lot of charities that she never, some people know about. Yeah. And a, lot of, and a lot of charities that nobody knows about because that's yeah. the highest form of charity is when the recipient and the giver never meet. Yeah. Don't know, right. Yeah. yeah. And you don't have to make it a, like a public service announcement. Like, look how good I did, you know, right. and you just do it because you can. And that's it. Yeah. So, but then I were, when I worked with Elvira, she was at the height of her career. So yeah. somebody had the idea, let's make a movie about her, which sure. is also a Warner Brothers. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, there's, I have to do some Elvira mashes. Yes, do some Elvira mashes while you drink some Elvira coffee. That's right. Elvira's house in the movie is still on, um, they call it King's Row, which is right next to uh, Midwest Street. And for those, if, if you watch a movie like The Music Man, okay. it all takes place in those two areas and for the more modern people it would be um pretty little liars was all in there okay friends was all in there friends never went to new york even though it was supposed to be new york everything they did was on the lot at warner brothers central perk was over there in, in, central in the- perk was everything was in the studio <laughs> yeah right. they never my understanding is they never set foot in new york wow always here and they were just okay. at the lot a couple of weeks ago, they did this very uh, high-priced reunion show. And uh, the security, uh, this was the only time in my career where the guards were telling me, hey, Randy, I wouldn't ride your bike down there. There's a rope. And usually I can go around the rope. He says, yeah. do me a favor. Don't go around the rope today. I said, of course not. Why would I? Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to get in, you or anybody into trouble. He says, yeah. That's all I need is on my watch. Somebody bumps into one of the friends. Uh, and there's $10 million with a, with a stubbed toe. Right. So of Unbelievable. Course, yeah. Unreal. Um, Who's your other sponsors? Oh, um, Generation Records. Um, they are located at 210 Thompson Street in the West Village. They've been around since 1992 and they have survived the pandemic. They're back open which I'm glad because there's not too many record stores where you can buy vinyl around anymore. Um, but if you, you can follow them on Instagram at generation records. And if you can't make it to the brick and mortar spot, once again, it's 210 Thompson street in the West village. Um, you can order stuff online from them. If you go to generation records.bigcartel.com, you can order stuff from them. I mean, everything from vinyl to t-shirts to books, to everything music related. And it's old school. It's, it's, it's two floors of just records, which I love because I grew up when my father had a huge vinyl collection and something about vinyl and getting 
again, opening it and reading lyrics and the thank you notes and the liner notes rather than pressing download on your phone. It's a, like a different experience for somebody like, I guess, my age. But I've been going to Generation Records for years and I was like pretty cool that they wanted to be a sponsor. So Generation Records. Can I add something there? I'm so sure. sorry. No, good. please do. I, I want to just say I, I, I agree uh, with, and I'm happy that they're uh, survived the pandemic and they're sure. still in business. Uh, when I thought for sure that vinyl was dead and I sold most of my, I uh, did too. <laughs> I was sure. Or CD. Are you kidding me? Well, here's the f- reality as, and I don't know if I can prove it, but this is my strong opinion. There is no question in my opinion that vinyl sounds better than any download. It doesn't. And if you, and, it, and I think a lot of CDs, Sadly, vinyl still sounds better. And here's the catch. I listen to a lot of genre of music. Same here. Including classical. Okay. The classical audiophiles never loved CDs. Not right. when they first came out and not the modern CDs. Any, if the classical music people never gave up their vinyl, then vinyl is better. Sure. And it and if it hasn't come back yet, it will come back. And everybody go to Generation Records. Thank you. Or generationrecords.bigcartel.com or visit the actual store. 210 Thompson Street in the West Village. True. Yes. And last but definitely not least, another company that I've been using for over a decade is New Republic Printing. They do screen printing and embroidery and they make vinyl stickers and buttons. You can follow them on Instagram at new Republic printing, and you can go to newrepublicprinting.net. They can, they will print on any brand t-shirt you want, hoodies. I mean, whatever you want, you can get something printed on any kind of garment. Um, but what's cool about them. And honestly, they've been around for a long time. I don't know how Steve stays in business because there's no, there's no setup fees, and the kicker is that there's no screen fees. So a lot of times, like every other screen printing company, let's say you have a design that has 10 colors on it, you're going to get charged for every single color, which is a different screen. So, so there's 10 screens you're going to pay for in your initial order, which how are you going to make any money between the cost of the shirts and all of the screens and the shipping and all that? then each shirt costs you X amount of dollars. You can't sell T-shirts for more than a certain amount either. So New Republic, there's no screen fees. There's no setup fees. And if you have your order delivered to a commercial address, and let's just say you can't get it delivered to your job, but you are friendly with the guy who works in the gas station down the street and you get it delivered to that guy, it's free UPS ground shipping. So, you know, you can get a thousand shirts made up and have 50 boxes delivered and it doesn't cost you a dime. New New Republic printing.net, New Republic printing on Instagram. And Steve McCarthy is a great guy and he's been in business for a long time. So he'll take care of you if you need stuff printed. Now I jumped in with the uh, coffee and with the records. I don't want, I don't want Steve to feel like I didn't have an opinion. Here. <laughs> may, may I? 
Absolutely. The floor is yours, Randy. Do you know if they're, I mean, not having a setup fee and all that is spectacular. Yeah. Do you know if there's a minimum order? Like if I wanted 10 shirts or five shirts, would he do that? Or is there a big, I don't see why not. I don't see why not. I have, I have made very, very, very small runs of like 25 shirts. No problem. So, you know what? I might actually have business for him. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to this back so that I can remember all these. uh, I'll text it to you. Yeah. I'll text everything to you. I want to, this won't take long. This is where East Coast and West Coast meet. So, um, it goes beyond the scope of this conversation, but before I was a film student and before I had a desire to buy a pair of shoes, show up on the outsiders and have a career that's almost 40 years long, I wanted to be a firefighter. And I was, I was a cadet or an explorer they're called for the Los Angeles County fire department, my junior and senior year of high school and a little bit afterwards. And it's a long story why I didn't pursue the fire service. Mainly my parents weren't wild about it. They thought it was a terrific profession for someone else's son. Of course. They were afraid that, uh, you know. Yeah. Everybody's running out of a burning building. Why is my kid running in? One of my best friends, I have crazy stories about him. I mean, it's. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to put them in an early grave. So I made them happy and found a, a different profession that, you know, my, listen, my mother, God rest her soul, got a lot of uh, uh, brownie points talking to the ladies at the hairdressers. That's awesome. I, you know, good, my son good on you, man. That's great. Okay, so back to the fire service. I promise this won't take long. Don't so worry. After, I guess, I guess if you go to a fire station somewhere in New York, they have a logo. Yes. Station number whatever. And yep. they have a Maltese cross yep. and a logo. Okay. Yep. So those logos never existed in LA that I know of until after 9-11. Wow. 9-11, everything changed. And everyone put 343 on their engines. Yeah. Uh, that's how many firefighters initially perished yes. that day. Um, and then a lot of stations started getting their logos. Yeah. So if you, if Steve and his company make patches and or T-shirts, yes. I have a funny feeling because there's a lot of fire stations that have logos. There's yeah. a lot of fire stations that don't. And I'm actually nagging one of the fire stations near me that doesn't have shirts and hats and uh, patches. Yeah. You know what? Design a, a thing. It's not going to – and I'll even buy one. Right. So, I'm, text me and maybe there's a hundred percent and, and if they send to a fire station isn't that like sending to a business? absolutely there you go yeah and and he's he's based in birmingham alabama i think so it's not that okay. yeah so it's not like he's a new york guy he's always been i don't know he was somewhere i don't remember i think he he had the business with his with his ex-wife and they were called death star and then they divorced, and now I guess it's a Star Wars thing. Instead of Death Star, it was Death Star, and then they got divorced, and then he reopened it, and now it's called New Republic Printing. I guess New Republic. It's a Star Wars reference. The name of his company. Yes. No. yes. So uh, yeah, but um, yeah, great guy and awesome stuff. But definitely, before we wrap, I definitely have to ask you what it was like 
to work with the late, great Michael Landon on Highway to Heaven. I know it was only a couple episodes. Right. But well, what was that like? Here's, here's what is, was most appealing about working with Michael Landon. He was um, extremely gracious and tangibly generous with the crew. So uh, you would work on a show and typically you get maybe a little, a li- maybe a little gift Christmas and maybe a wrap gift. Uh, it might be a jacket that says the name of the show on it. And right. that's fine. Everybody loves that. Right. But Michael Landon was, was above and beyond the call of duty. He was giving people paychecks extra that stuff that they would need. And was, there was no limit to his, uh, graciousness so if you worked with him full-time it uh, people have the greatest memories he seemed like he was a really nice guy i mean he was yes he was an actor but for some reason he just seemed like he would be a nice dude now the other thing about the shows that i did with him um this was at a time when uh there was not a lot of equality in the movie business it was basically white men in all the professions. Sure. Period. It's just, if you showed up on a set, that's what you saw. Right. Maybe the script supervisor was a woman, but not necessarily. Maybe a makeup artist or a costumer was a woman, but not necessarily. Right. So he was a big advocate for, we got to get, we got to get the crew to look like it does outside of our gates. Right. So the very first director of photography, cinematographer, female, that was a member of the Camry Union and a member of the ASC, which is the American Society of Cinematographers, which is a, um, um, you don't apply for membership. You're invited based on the merit of your work. So it's a prestigious honor. Mm-hmm. It was a woman named Breanne Murphy. And okay. everyone called her Bree, including me. So Bree Murphy was the very first female cinematographer in the union and in the ASC. And the only reason she got in at the time that she got in was Michael Landon was her sponsor. Wow. He was the first, remember I said a while ago that on all rise, we have two cinematographers that alternate. One does the odd, one does the even numbered episodes. He did the same thing on highway to heaven. He had, uh, a Ted or Teddy, people called him Voigtlander, who was an old school, solid cinematographer. And he also had Brianne Murphy. Wow. And everybody was, and you know what? She opened the door for a lot of people because it's like, yeah, she's really doing a nice job. And it's not, I don't know why we don't have more women here. And yeah. no, I mean, there's nothing you know, one time a month, it's not a catastrophe. Or if she has a family, that's not a catastrophe. It's the same. Everything's the same. So I remember working with Brie very fondly, God huh. rest her soul. And she was the first, she was the trailblazer. Wow. And because of Michael Landon. Because absolutely because of Michael Landon. And no he, question. He's gone for a long time now, isn't he? I mean, he had to have died at least 20 years ago at this point. He, he's buried in Hillside Memorial Park in Culver City. It's a Jewish cemetery. And how do I know this? My parents, God rest their souls, 
are not far from Michael Landon. Wow. Yeah. So when I visit my parents, there's a few other people I say hello to, and I don't mind telling you right. one of them is Michael Landon. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So cool, man. I'm glad you asked about him. And yeah, I, was- I saw that in your credits and I was like, you know what? I don't care that, um, you know, that, that there was only a couple episodes, but I saw Highway to Heaven. I was like, wow, I remember that show because I remember Little House on the Prairie and I remember Highway to Heaven, Victor French and all that stuff. So I was like, I have to, you know, pick your brain about that. When can I talk to somebody who actually worked with Michael Landon of all people? It's very yeah. bizarre. So I had to throw that in there. Spectacular. I, you know, um, just one more quick thing. Sure. It's like, if you look at my credits, you'll see something like Judging Amy was six years, 138 episodes, which means I did the pilot and I did six seasons. Every single show, there were 138 of them. I was there full time. It was great. But every show has a hiatus period. Right. So my show that I just ended, um, I'm off may and i'm off june and when we go back it'll be sometime after july 4th so what happens may and june well luckily i get to rest and be more of a older a younger brother i have an older brother and uh, a father to my sons sure but also sometimes somebody calls you and says hey randy i know that your show wrapped we need somebody to fill in that's what happened with highway to heaven so wow when when a long job ends if a friend calls and says hey can you come in and cover me a couple episodes on highway to heaven sure you know i never chose highway to heaven i'm i have a relationship with the people yeah. it just so happens that the people that i'm associated with always worked on quality shows I, that's the one thing i would really want to leave everybody with is that it, yeah, there's a lot of people that would love to be uh, cinematographers and to work in movies, and it's a great profession. And um, I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I'm really sort of in the twilight of my career, I think another couple seasons, and I might call it a career. I'll be 62 in two years. So nobody ever laid on their deathbed bemoaning <laughs> that they didn't work enough. So maybe the time is right for me to leave. But it wasn't because I didn't love every minute of it. Right. And most of the people I worked with, the vast majority. So I beat up uh, Charles Bronson an hour ago. That's, he, he wasn't so bad. That's he, awesome. <laughs> he wasn't so bad either. It's just I, yeah, was, I, was, I was in a bad mood or whatever. Hey, listen. <laughs> <laughs> but, awesome. um, so that's, yeah. I'm ha- I'm really happy I got to talk to you and uh yeah dude see this is see like I was saying earlier it's like these are the things I want to do I even wrote like in the little things you know coming you know next Friday blah blah, blah. it's something a little bit out of the box and that's what I want to do you know what I mean I don't necessarily have to talk to some guy in some crazy band all the time like after a while it just gets repetitive and it gets boring you know what I mean so right. speaking with somebody like you I've never spoken to anybody who has your career or stuff like that so I was looking forward to this obviously if we were speaking for a couple of months and you know after you wrap all rise we'll do it awesome you know I'm not going to break your chops and when it happens it'll, it'll happen and that's awesome but this was great man I can't we're, we're over well, we were talking for a few minutes before I pressed record, but we're at two hours and 11 minutes already. Is, does that mean you're going to have to cut it down? Or is no, that- absolutely not. There's a lot you can cut out. There's nothing I'm cutting okay. out. Okay. I, I try to make it 
where we're sitting at a diner and the people in the booth behind us are eavesdropping in on a conversation. Now you know why in the other podcast for NPR, when Danny says, my wife called me because she was worried because I'm sitting here five hours talking to a guy I just met. Now you know it's possible. Exactly. Yeah. It happens like this. It's easy. When you have stuff in common, yes, need to do. So it was a pleasure meeting you. Dude, absolutely. I I would like to meet you face to face one day, you know? Someday you're going to find yourself under the right circumstances at the outsider's house. Yeah. Your your daughter in a couple of years. She can't wait to go. Well, here's the thing. I'm not sure she's read it yet. I think she's too young. Right around 13, she's perfect to read that book and to really absorb it. Yeah. She's going to see the movie and then she's going to want to see it all happened. She's 11 now. We saw me and her started watching that movie when she was probably like four. She's seen The Outsiders probably dozens of times. Wow, dozens. So she's That's a she's lot to unpack for a four-year-old. Yeah, well, I'm obviously when she's four, she's kind of just watching it, and like you know, there's certain things that she remembers and whatever, and but but like. We'll be like, you know, hanging out one day, you know, one night, like, hey, what do you want to watch? It's just like, let's just watch The Outsiders because she knows it and she'll sit and she'll watch the entire thing. And she loves that movie. And it's awesome because she's like a little version of me. Like when I was like nine, you know, seven, eight, nine, I was watching The Outsiders. You know what I mean? Came out in what year? 82? 83. 83. 82 and released in 83. Right. So I'm um, seven. You know what I mean? So I was watching yeah. The Outsiders constantly. It's a classic, great movie. And she's the same way. She she likes, obviously, she likes a lot of things, you know, that 11-year-olds like now. But she loves The Outsiders. She can't wait to go to The Outsiders house. And for some reason, well, I think I know the reason. She's super, super, super right now interested in the history of the Titanic. Awesome. Like, my little boy around her age i believe maybe a little older also i bought him titanic books yeah he saw the movie yeah it was like to wrap your head around the fact that this vessel yeah on its maiden voyage and the mistakes that were made Mm -hmm. and the plight of those souls yeah and this in this the ugly uh way that people perished yeah uh was just captivating to him no doubt your daughter too yeah in fact i I took my son to um las vegas Uh, we made a little pact a little trip to go see the um vegas nights cut me off if this is way no go ahead i'm not cutting you off at all so i took my son to see the vegas nights which is the hockey team Okay. I took him to Penn and Teller. Awesome. And I took him to uh, the Titanic exhibit. The largest artifact that was pulled up from the North Atlantic is a large section. I don't know how big, but if you go to the Luxor's website, they'll show it to you. Yeah. It's a massive. They had to make sure that when they brought it into the building, that the building wouldn't collapse. 
That's how yeah. everything is. It's a huge art. They have dishes, they have shoes, they have all the stuff that you would expect to see. But yeah. then you turn a corner and there's this like, are you kidding me? Wow. How did they get? And that was in Vegas. And my son was standing there with his jaw on the floor and it was worth the price just for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. There's, there's, there's some things to do. Uh, Titanic wise. Oh, she knows. She, she, she teaches me things like she, I, it all started. She watched the movie. And I think I, I didn't say this because she would be embarrassed if I said it. She's like, dad, but I think she has like an 11 year old, like a half a little crush on like young Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. Wouldn't. Right. So, so, I mean, you know, so she watches that movie and then I was like, yeah, Titanic. And then she would ask me questions and then she just on her own, like the history of it. She's like, dad, like, can we stay at the Jane hotel in, in the city? I'm like, what's the Jane hotel? And she's like, uh, there's all, all sorts of Titanic history there. I'm like, why? She's like, well, like about a hundred cast. And, uh, I was going to say casting crew, but, but, um, um, survivors and crew members of Titanic when they made it to New York stayed there and it's like nautical theme and stuff and they just reopened. So I'm like, if you want for like, you know, a night, you want to go stay at the Jane hotel. It's very, it looks like a boat, you know, like, like the inside it's modeled there for like boat cabins and stuff. Yeah. So she told me about that. She told she took there's um, I actually put it up on the Delta Bravo page because I didn't know about it, but she told me about it and we went there. There's a Titanic Memorial there in the city and on june i'm taking vacation june 21st to the 25th i'm bringing her to of all places pigeon forge tennessee because there's a titanic museum there in tennessee of all places and i'm bringing her there in june good good for yeah. you and do you have any large i'm not far from long beach and in long beach is dot the queen mary so I took my Titanic fan to the Queen Mary because right. that's the closest you can get to a giant vessel. Right. Which do you maybe you have something like that in New York? We have the Intrepid. We have the Intrepid. I'll leave that to you, but that's something to consider too because I think we both. Yeah, my kids outgrown it a little bit. Yeah, but um, I still have his Titanic book, and uh -huh. uh, we still have the Blu-ray of the movie. By the way. If I were to say, I mean, there's a few actors that I only have a couple more years before I retire. Right. I would love to work with Tyne Daly one more time. I think I, she was a co-star of Judging Amy. Okay. To me, she was, uh, I would love to be on set with Tyne Daly one more time. And someone I've never worked with, and this is where Titanic comes in, who I don't know if you're watching. Do you have HBO? I do. There's a series called Mare, M-A-R-E. Okay. Of East Town. It's a mini series. There's seven episodes. And it's with, um, ugh, embarrassing. Who's the, who's the co-star with, uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio? Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. I'm so sorry I forgot her name. If Kate Winslet's watching, let me tell you why I forgot if Kate her Winslet's name. watching, I'm doing something right, Randy. Yes, you are. But, <laughs> it, but I, I, just in case. The reason why I forgot her name is because she looks like Kate Winslet, but doesn't act or sound like Kate Winslet. Okay. It, it takes place in like a, the a suburb of Philadelphia. The town and the vibe is part of the character of the story. 
I'm going to recommend to you. I didn't work on it, but on now. And I think of it because I'm so impressed by her performance that if she happened to roll onto a job that I'm on in the next two years, I would be very happy to make sure she's in focus. Awesome. Make sure she's in focus. Yes, sir. Dude, thank you so much for your time, man. This was great, man. I really, really enjoyed this, and I'm not just blowing smoke. The time just flew by quickly. And before I let you go, someday we will meet. Yes. I, I truly hope. Hopefully and sooner rather than later. I, I, yes, and I, I feel like I wouldn't be sitting here. So I have to give a quick thank you to, and you know these people, yep. Danny O'Connor, in no particular order, Nako Nolan, yep. Steve Mona, uh, Cody, what's yep. his last name? McCarthy. Cody McCarthy, a good guy. Cody Mack. And, and if I'm leaving anybody out, forgive me, but I, those were the episodes that I heard recently to make sure that I um, didn't come off as a complete fool today. But no, nah, you didn't come off as a complete fool at all. This was great, Randy. I appreciate you. Yeah. Please send me the link to your um, sponsors. I'll send, I'll send you everything. I might be a customer of, of all three. That's that would be that would be a first, wouldn't it? Probably, yeah. Yeah, for all three, yeah, the hat trick, yeah, you, I think you would be the first. Yeah. Yeah. Slane might, have, Slane might have ordered coffee, but I can tell you, he didn't order shirts. No, he didn't. <laughs> Sorry, Slane, maybe you did. Yeah, shout out to Slane, man, another great guy. Oh, shit. Dude, once again, thank you. Be safe out there. Take you, well, you, you, you have time off right now, right? I do. So I'm, do doing you- a, I'm, I'm doing a little flooring a job in the house. Okay. Not recently. Uh, right. Thank God I can hire professionals to do it. Nice. So, um, you know, what happens is uh, you, when your kids reach a certain age, you fix the stuff that I was never the parent that said, don't play with the hockey sticks in the house. You'll chip right. the paint. I let him chip the paint. I let yeah. him bang the hardwood floor. Yeah. Because I was cultivating kids, not a showroom. Of course. So, so, I don't feel like I live in a dump, but right. it definitely looks lived in. It's lived so in. I, yeah. So now that my kids are older, every hiatus, I do a little something. So Eight. this hiatus, I'm getting rid of some floor and putting new because okay. I think the hockey playing days are over. <laughs> awesome. In this house. Yeah. In this house. Yeah. Awesome. Dude, I'll, like I said, I will, I will definitely text you your stuff. Um, well, people are listening right now, and obviously they're listening, but I'm telling you, this is dropping this coming Friday at noon. I will tag you in everything. You'll see it everywhere, and that'll be that. I am happy to be part of episode 200. Is it 214? Yes, sir. That's a lot of people. I know you did a few t- more than once. Yeah. A lot of work, and you're doing a great job, Jimmy. Thank you. Invite, I appreciate it. Inv- invite me back again if I do something spectacular that catches your attention and i promise i'll keep it a, a shorter don't worry about it I, I i enjoy lengthy conversations with people who can hold the conversation i appreciate these things and you have an open door you don't need to do anything because you've done a billion uh, we can we can probably go another two hours about other things that you've done so if you want to do another part if you want to do another part just let me know when and we'll make it happen fair enough fair enough Take care. I appreciate you. You as well, my man. Be well. You too. Later, Andy. Later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.